Our scripture reading is found in 2nd John, the second epistle of John. It's the shortest book in the Bible. I'm sure the children could have told you that. 2nd uh, John, very close to the end of the Word of God, just in case you have any difficulty finding it. If you work your way back from Revelation to Jude to 3rd John, then after that you'll come to 2nd John and we're going to read from the first verse of the book. 2nd John and reading from verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth and not I only but also all they that have known the truth for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. He that biddeth him God speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of that short epistle. We do trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired truth for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen. I'd like you to turn with me to Second John. It's a short book. It's a book that isn't very often preached upon. The shortest book in the Bible. We were able to read the entire book. It's addressed to the elect lady. And uh, it may actually be, according to some of the commentators, a proper name rather than just lady. Uh, if we uh, soften the, uh, the letters from the Greek uh, it would come into English as Syria, uh, really like uh, the, uh, the feminine form uh, of Cyril. Uh, it may be uh, the elect uh, Syria, the lady who was chosen of God, uh, but I actually think it's more likely uh, that it should be translated as we have it here, lady, because her elect sister is mentioned later in the uh, epistle, in the last verse, so uh, there's an elect person in the first verse and her elect sister is mentioned in the last verse so I think it is 
uh, a lady rather uh, than a proper name uh, that is mentioned in this first verse. It comes from the elder. We know who that was, the Apostle John. He's writing, it's one of his epistles. He has his gospel. And then we have his first epistle, second and third epistle. He calls himself the elder. Uh, That could be an office or it could be uh, the fact that it's speaking of his age. Uh, He was probably quite an old man, although we don't know the date of this epistle. We do realize that John, the apostle, the beloved, was uh, one that outlived uh, all of the other apostles. And we think he's the only one that didn't suffer death by martyrdom. It's a short letter because John says he's hoping to come to the lady and to visit her uh, very soon. And he says, I uh, have many things uh, to write to you. And uh, he says, I'd not write uh, with paper and ink, but I'm hoping that I will be able to visit you and to come to you shortly. I remember uh, many years ago when we were in the Theological Hall, as it was called, Dr. Douglas emphasized the fact that it's better, rather than putting a thing in writing, if you're able to meet the person face to face and tell uh, the, the matters that are on your heart to that person, say it face to face. We would say it's really a more courageous thing to do. Not that John, by writing, would be lacking in courage, but if you're able to say it face to face, then it's better to say it face to face than simply send off a letter. Uh, and of course, writing a letter would have been more tedious in those days. Paper was papyrus paper, and ink uh, was uh, something uh, a bit different. Uh, it was soot and water and some gum uh, put into the soot and water to give consistency and permanence to what was written. And the pen would have been a reed that was adapted to the purpose of writing. It's a lot easier today when you can sit down at the computer and you can type all the letters in. If you make a mistake, you can change it. Even easier than it was with the old typewriter where you had to tip X out any mistakes that were made. Well, that's the way that John would have been writing, uh, using the reed, using that ink, the soot and water and the gum, and uh, writing uh, on the papyrus. Uh, and he says, I, I have many things I, I want to say to you, Uh, But I'm not going to put them down in writing. I'm hoping shortly to visit you. And then uh, he would have a good uh, spiritual conversation with that lady. That would be uh, to her benefit and also would be beneficial to the Apostle John. In this short epistle, there is great emphasis on two things. One is truth and the other is love. In the first Four verses. The word truth appears five times. So you can see there's a tremendous emphasis on the truth. And the word love in the first six verses, in verses 1, 5 and 6, occurs three times. So there's truth and there's love. Quite uh, clearly, these are uh, subjects that are of tremendous importance. And the first thing that I want you to see is that truth is absolutely crucial to the people of God. John keeps writing here and underlining 
the importance of the truth. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is found in a person, and truth is found in a book. The Lord Jesus, in his great prayer of John chapter 17, prayed in verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. What a combination. Here is the truth. The truth is found in the Bible. People may deride it. They may sneer at it and scoff at it. They may tell us it's full of mistakes. But pure truth is found in the word of God. We believe the Bible to be inerrant. That's without mistake. We believe it to be infallible. We believe it to be inspired. It has come to us directly from God. Men have criticised it, but the critics so often have been confounded. You know, they used to say that the first five books of the Bible could not have been written by Moses because they didn't know how to write. They didn't have any means of writing at that time. Then they discovered that people had been writing centuries before Moses. So the critics were confounded. They said that the city of Ur that Abraham is stated in the Bible to come from didn't exist. Yet in the early part of the 20th century, excavations were done in the region and it was discovered that the city of Ur did exist. And it was a highly civilized city that they were well advanced in the study of different subjects such as trigonometry and also they had exquisite jewellery there and it was a very important trade route much nearer to the sea uh, than it is today because uh, there has been uh, more sediment uh, uh, that was uh, laid down and so it's further from the sea but it was a very important city uh, in the time of Abraham. Critics said that uh, it didn't exist uh, but excavations many years later proved that the city of Ur did exist. So we don't care what the critics say about the Bible. The Bible has proved itself and proved its accuracy again and again and the Bible has a very clear insight into man's character into the way that man behaves and it has a very clear revelation of what man needs, uh, what man needs to save him from his sins. And the truth reveals the person in whom truth resides, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, as I've quoted, I am the truth. He is the truth. You'll find truth in the Lord Jesus Christ who's revealed in the word of God. And the beauty is this that we discover in this epistle that the truth may be known. Uh, John writes in the verse 1, and he says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And he says, And not I only, but also all they that have known. See that word? They have known the truth. Pontius Pilate on one occasion said to Christ, What is truth? He was standing beside the one who is the truth. And he said, what is truth? But if you study what happened subsequently, 
you'll see that after asking the question, Pilate immediately went out to the crowd and addressed them. He asked what is truth, but he didn't wait for an answer. And isn't that uh, true of so many people? Uh, They would say, well, how can we know the truth? There are so many conflicting opinions. There are so many religions. So many people telling us so many different things. How can we know the truth? The people who ask questions like that generally don't make any investigation. They don't wait to find out what the truth is. They are impatient. Because really, when a person behaves like that, the the, the real truth is they don't want to know the truth. They talk about the truth and say, well, what is the truth? But they often uh, do not want to know the truth. (coughs) So the truth may be known. You may be sure of what is right and what is wrong. You study the Bible. You meet with the person who is the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're sure this is right. It is the truth. Indeed, truth takes up residence in the hearts of God's people. If you look at verse 2, it says, For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us. The truth dwells in every child of God. When you're saved and you call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus resides within. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 talked about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Lord Jesus Christ, the truth, residing, dwelling, living in the hearts of God's people. (coughs) What a difference that makes. When I have Christ living within, that changes my whole outlook on life. I see things in a new light. And I behave in a different way. Now I'm being influenced by the truth. And that truth never leaves the people of God. What do we see again in verse 2? For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. (coughs) Isn't that good? Once you've got a hold of the truth. And the Lord Jesus Christ dwells within. That truth will never leave you. You know, it is not possible completely to deceive the people of God. Christ speaks of difficult days, dark days. And he says, if it were possible, uh, what would happen uh, through anti-Christian teaching with that, uh, if it were possible... Uh, The very elect would be deceived. But he says to us, if it were possible. But it's not possible. It's not possible (coughs) completely to deceive the people of God. They cannot be talked out of the truth. And they cannot be talked out of their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth dwells in them (coughs) and the truth will be with them forever. You might find some of these 
people who talk very cleverly and they will uh, start to decry the word of God and they will teach, say, evolution and they will try to persuade God's people that the first three chapters of Genesis are not authentic, uh, that man has evolved, that he was not created. There is no supreme (coughs) supernatural being, they say, who made this world, who made all the creatures, and who made man. The world began with a great explosion. The scientists are agreed. And uh, there was a great explosion. And then out of simple forms of life, more (coughs) complex forms developed until finally we reached the stage where here we are, Uh, living on this earth with all our faculties and all our intelligence and you were not created by God you evolved from lower species yet in your heart don't you know that that is not the case in your heart you know that the Bible is right in your heart you know that there is a supreme God the creator of the ends of the earth And the one that we have offended by our sins. The one who alone has saved us from our sins. The one who sent his son into the world. His perfect sinless son into this world. To deal with the problem of sin. To rescue lost souls. To save them eternally. You know it in your heart. You cannot be talked out of it. It dwells in you. It shall be with you forever. All the critics in the world cannot talk you out of the truth. It's very interesting, you know. Uh, I saw in the British Church newspaper, uh, the latest edition, they had a conference on creation and they held it in West Bromwich and 2,000 people, young and old, came along to that conference. No matter how many arguments are raised against supernatural divine creation the hearts of God's people uh, tell them uh, because uh, the truth dwells in their hearts their hearts tell them evolution cannot be true it is not true and of course it's not just a notion we have there is abundance of evidence that God really made this world that he really made us And that he lives and that we're answerable to him. Man cannot, in a sense, obliterate the truth. It dwells in God's people. It shall be with them forever. I love a quotation that I learnt when we were studying for the ministry. Professor George Wald was professor of biology at Harvard University. And he won the Nobel Prize. And Professor George Wald was an evolutionist. And here is what he said. One has only to contemplate the magnitude of the task to concede that the spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. That's evolution just. He says you've only to think of the enormity of all the chances really that that, that need to, to come to fruition to concede that the spontaneous generation of A living organism is impossible. Think about it. You think of the odds against it. And he says it's impossible. Impossible. (coughs) And what did he add? Yet here we are as a result 
of spontaneous generation. It's impossible. Here we are as a result. He went on to say further that the only alternative was belief in some form of supernatural creation. So you either believe in God, and that's a possibility, or you believe in an impossibility, which is spontaneous generation or evolution. See, we have the truth. It dwells in us. It shall be with us forever. And it guides us uh, unerringly along the pathway that leads to glory. The apostle speaks to this elect lady. and He says, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. You see, truth is progressive. I don't mean that uh, it's, uh, it becomes more truth as we go along, but uh, we progress in the truth. We know a little truth. Uh, we, we know Christ, who's, who is the truth, but there's so much ignorance in us when we're saved so many things we have to learn we have to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ we have this glorious wonderful amazing infinite Saviour he's from eternity he stepped into time became a little babe lived a spotless life shed his blood on the cross rose in triumph three days later ascended into heaven forty days later We know those things, but those are basic things about Christ. There is so much more to learn of him. And how wonderful these children of this elect lady were walking in the truth. They were getting to know the truth more and more. They discovered more and more about the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he had done for them and all that he would do for them in the future and how they would meet with him in eternity and be with him forever. Isn't it wonderful when the truth guides us unerringly along the pathway to glory? And we need to spend time with the truth. We need to get to know the Bible better. We need to get to know the teachings of the Bible better. That's why it's so important to learn the catechism. It's based on the truth. We take the shorter catechism. It was said by one writer, John MacLeod, uh, who wrote the book Scottish Theology in relation to church history, that the children of Scotland were reared on porridge and the shorter catechism. Porridge Uh, for their body the shorter catechism for their soul I'm afraid uh, and I shouldn't keep saying this I hate porridge uh, but I don't hate uh, the shorter catechism what a wonderful uh, compendium of truth you have in the shorter catechism the chief end of man to glorify God to enjoy him forever and uh, a definition of God Uh, and set before us Uh, God's a spirit infant eternal and so on how wonderful uh, for a child to learn that and it is said that at the Westminster Assembly that the youngest member of the Assembly gave the definition of God that we have in the shorter catechism 
He was crying to God, pleading with God to uh, give him light. And the Lord opened his mind and the Lord showed him that wonderful uh, definition. And remember that the shorter catechism is for those of, of weaker intellect. That's you and me. In the age in which it was drawn up, they were of stronger intellect spiritually. Uh, they had a grasp of spiritual things. And we have it, the shorter catechism, we have it in the larger catechism, we have it in the Westminster Confession of Faith. But all of those are, are linked to the Bible. They're not independent documents. They mean nothing if they're not based on the Word of God because they're drawing from the truth of the Scriptures. And the children of Scotland, it was said by John MacLeod, uh, were like uh, windmills. When they learned the shorter catechism, they were like windmills waiting for the wind. They'd got the truth. Uh, they had all the apparatus, you might say. And when the wind blew, that is when the Holy Spirit was likened to wind in the scripture, when he moved in their hearts, then uh, all of that truth uh, came to, to life in their souls. And they came to life in Jesus Christ. And they had the truth to guide them and to make them strong and to lead them forward in the ways of God. You know, without the truth, life is disastrous. How many people, how many people today are without the truth? What a tragedy that is. This uh, short epistle, the shortest in the Bible, it lays tremendous emphasis on the truth. But then the second thing that we have is love. Love is vital to the people of God. Three times, verse 1, verse 5, verse 6, we have the word love. We are told in 1 John 4 that God is love. It was said of the early Christians, Behold how these Christians love one another. We might say, well, what is love? It is not mere emotion, but emotion will undoubtedly be involved. We can say that love is the work of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, don't forget he's a person. And he is the one who kindles love in our hearts. The fruit of the Spirit Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. See the first word? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's so important. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks of love. It's love throughout the Apostle says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity or love, I am as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. That's what I'm like. I'm empty, hollow, making a great sound. But there's no substance. There's nothing to me. And uh, in this chapter, we find that love is defined in the verse 6. The Apostle says, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. So here it is. Uh, you obey God. That's love. You do what God tells you to do. Uh, and 
the feelings will come. I, I believe that very often uh, the two uh, are contemporary. Uh, God fills your heart. You walk according to his commandments. And the proof that you really love him is obeying him. But the feelings may not uh, come right away. You know your duty. And you do your duty. And you say, God wants me to do that. And I'll do it. I just don't feel like doing it now. Uh, and it runs in a way against the grain. But I do it. Because God tells me to do it. And I know who God is. And I know all that he has done for me. And I know how much he cares for me. And even though uh, it's running uh, across the grain, uh, I'm going to do it. Because God has told me to do it. And you do what God tells you to do. And your feelings will come good. You do it because of who he is. You do it because of what he has done for you. You do it because you know he loves you. And that he won't uh, do anything that is wrong for you. He'll always do what's right for you. I don't feel like doing it at the moment. But I do it. And the feelings come good. Uh, Let me give you an illustration of this. Something I heard uh, a few years ago. I was listening to someone uh, in... uh, I was going to say a Christian uh, uh, service. It was one that was on on, uh, one of the uh, Christian channels uh, on television. Uh, Some of them are total rubbish, I've got to say, uh, and I don't watch them. But there was one man, he was an Indian uh, pastor, and he was speaking. And he said he had an arranged marriage. An arranged marriage. And that must have been very difficult. We all like to be able to choose uh, who we're going to marry, not to have it imposed upon us. But he believed it was right. His parents had chosen, and the girl's parents had chosen, and they had agreed. And he had to marry this girl. And he felt it was his duty to love her. But it seems at the start, his feelings for her were not strong. But he came to have those feelings. Those very strong feelings. Uh, Now you might say, I don't like that. It's not a good system. And I'll agree with you. Uh, But I'm just using it as an illustration. You think of what God wants us to do. And we may not feel like doing it. But we do it. The feelings may come at the same time as the duty. But if the duty comes first... And it runs counter to my feelings. Then when I see it to be a duty. And I remember how God cares for me. And all that God has done for me. If I do what he tells me to do. Then the feelings will come good. So uh, we we have a a duty to love. Uh, We've got to love God. And we show our love for God. By keeping his commandments. This is love. That We walk after his commandments. So uh, we we have love uh, and we have truth uh, set before us in this epistle. And the Christian is to love all the people of God. It says in verse 5, I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, uh, but that which we had from the beginning, from the beginning, that we love one another. Now that, that can be tough. Uh, there are people that may be difficult to show love to. We may have our preferences, we may have our favourites, 
But the Bible says we love one another. There are people it's hard to like, but we've got to love them. That seems a contradiction. We, but we must make an effort because it's God's command. We must make an effort to show love for one another, to be patient with one another, to do what is right by one another. That is showing love. The feelings may not be strong at the start, but you make an effort, you try to see things from that other person's point of view, and the feelings will come. You'll discover that the person that I was going to say you almost despised, that person you may come to love and to care for. And as you pray for that person, you may be melted to tears as you think of the needs of that person. Maybe as you see a feeling in that person, you'll be grieved and you'll pray all the more heartily and all the more tenderly for that person. And that is to be our constant practice. It's set out in the Old Testament, loving your neighbour as yourself. Not an easy thing to do. And I believe that love will be shown in practical ways. It will be shown in hospitality where it's needed, in kind words and actions in prayer support, financial support, where that is necessary. It may even be shown in a kindly rebuke. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's far easier for us when we see a fault in someone to talk about that and to be gossips uh, and to be cowardly. In, in saying the things behind the person's back that we cannot say to that person's face. We go to the person, they may not like it. They may not take it kindly when we say it to them. We may wound them. We may hurt them. But the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The wounds of a friend. That's hard to do. So uh, we have this uh, set before us truth absolutely crucial love absolutely crucial and we may say that truth and love are not to be separated uh, we've got truth and love and they are not to be separated you see love without truth is mere emotionalism uh, there are many churches and they're filled with sentimentality and everything is is what we might call swinging everything is great uh, and there's a great deal of emotion in the church and they've got emotionalism they've got sentimentalism and everybody gets lifted up and they're singing but there's no focus on the truth there's no focus on the preaching of God's truth it's Happy clappy. That's the expression that has come to us uh, over the years. There's a happy clappy church. Uh, and they're way up in the air. Uh, and everything appears to be great. But there's something missing from the heart of that happy clappy church. And what is missing is the pure exposition of divine truth that's found in the word of God. My, it's, it's like food with, with all the nutrients taken out of it. it. It can fill you, it can bloat you, but it doesn't nourish you. And we cannot have love 
without the truth. It's weak. Uh, real love has truth at, it, at its core. Uh, I haven't time now, but you can read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, why do you see the word charity there? It really is love. The same word as is found in 1 John 4, 8 and 16. God is love, we find twice there. Same word for love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, where you have charity in your mind, you can say love. And it says, charity suffereth long and is kind and so on. And there's a definition of charity. And you can see a manliness about charity, about love. And you can see at the other side, a tenderness about love. You can see that love is intolerant uh, of sin, hates sin. Yet uh, there's a kindness towards the sinner. So love's a very strong thing. And if you have uh, mere emotionalism, this happy clappy type of love without the truth at its core then you have something that is hollow and ultimately unsatisfying it's, it's food for, uh, for allegedly for the soul without the nutriments and there's no nourishment in it and you're just bloated uh, with sentiment and with emotion and then the first crisis that comes into your life down you go with a great crash. It is not good. So uh, love without truth is empty. Truth, on the other hand, without love is harsh and unforgiving. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul speaks about speaking the truth in love. You see, if you speak the truth without love, it's very hurtful. You can hurt someone by your harsh words. You can speak your mind. and Every word you speak from your mind may be the truth. But uh, it's razor sharp. And it's nasty. And it's unspiritual. You can deliver the truth in an unspiritual way. You, you, can, you can harm the effects of truth. Because you're speaking in, in a vicious way. And you're saying it not in the right spirit. You're not saying it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're saying it uh, in a, a, a harsh, vindictive way. You're letting people have a bit of your mind. And nobody wants a bit of my mind or yours. They don't want it. They want the truth. And they need the truth spoken in love. I've quoted that verse Faithful are the wounds of a friend. When we speak the truth, we should speak as a friend to poor souls that need that truth. And we've got to avoid failure in both aspects. I must not have mere emotionalism without the truth. And I must not have the truth without the love of God filling my heart as I, as I speak that truth, as I search after that truth. Truth and love go together. Five times you have truth here in these opening four verses. Three times in the first six verses you have love. Truth and love, inseparable, found beautifully and fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. Found in the Godhead.
in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when truth and love go hand in hand, you may be sure, and this is my last thought and time has flown, you may be sure that God's blessing will be found. Notice what John says in verse 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. You see the two combined here? And where he says grace and truth be with you, in the original it is grace and truth shall be with you. Grace and truth. This lady is a lady filled with love. This lady is a lady who, along with her children, is walking in the truth. She's growing in grace. And John says to her, Grace shall be with you. Mercy and peace shall be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. You'll have favour from God as you walk in the truth and your heart is filled with love. Grace is unmerited favour. Mercy is the pity of God because we're all failures. We need mercy. That woman who's seeking to walk in truth and walk in love, when she fails, God will show his tremendous compassion for her and for her family. He'll reach down in pity and he'll lift her up again. The psalmist could say, He restoreth my soul. He knew his weakness. He knew that he would falter. And yet he could say, He restoreth my soul. Grace, mercy, and peace. Peace. Outward peace and inward peace. That sense of security that enables us to sing and to say, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Isn't that good when you can say that? Grace, mercy and peace. You know, we had a young woman came to our church in London for a few years. She was from Ghana. Uh, She was a tremendous encouragement to us. Uh, And she was at every meeting. She was there morning and evening. She was there at the prayer meeting. And uh, her name was Mercy. She was our first wedding in our church in London. And she was the middle one of three sisters. And her older sister was called Grace. She was called Mercy. And her younger sister was called Peace. Grace, Mercy and Peace. When she got married in our church, uh, the family came over from Ghana. So we had grace, mercy and peace uh, together with us in the church. Sadly, uh, she and her husband uh, were unable to remain in the United Kingdom. And it was a great loss to us uh, when Mercy returned along with her husband to Ghana. A great loss because not only was she there all the time, but when people came into the church, she befriended them. Around them, she spoke to them, and what a joy it was for us to have her with us in the church. But you know, when you're walking in the truth and in love, you have grace, mercy, and peace with you all the time. Grace, mercy, and peace shall be uh, with us, or shall be with you, uh, from God the Father 
and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. You have all the favour of God shown to you when you walk in the truth and when you walk in love. What an incentive for you and me. Seek the truth. It will lead to Christ. It will lead to the Bible. Seek the love of the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And day by day we need the infilling of the Spirit. And then we'll display the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace and so on. And when you're faithful in these things. You will undoubtedly be blessed. Blessed of God. Owned of God. Encouraged by the presence of God with you in your life day by day standing beside you when you witness confirming the words that you speak helping you when you pray helping you when you face the struggles and difficulties of life what a wonderful thing to walk in the truth and to walk in the centre of God's love if you're not saved oh how Sad your position. How awful your plight. To be without the truth. To be without God's love. To be under the control and influence of one who is a liar. And one who has no love for you. Who hates you. And who wants to see you destroyed. Flee, I say to you. Flee if you're not saved. To Jesus Christ. And taste and see that he is good.